welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends, if you want to find your seats, that'd be awesome. Grab your Bibles if you have them. So, um, give yourselves a round of applause. Like one of the coldest days in a long time, and you're all here. Yeah. Yeah, people were calling, you know, Facebooking me last night, pastor friends, you know, are you canceling church? And I'm like, no way, are you kidding me? Why would we cancel church? We live in Minnesota, for crying out loud. This is totally normal. People go watch the Vikings in this kind of weather. Why can't we have church in this kind of weather? Come on now, people, come on now. Uh, So here we are, Mark chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Before we jump in, I'll say this, um, and I mentioned this last week, to very, very little success. So I'm going to say it again now. So friends, this is Papa Bear. Everyone listen, I need eyes right here, eyes right here. There are year-end giving statements. They're in the back of the room. They're at the Discover Awaken booth. They are in alphabetical order. So when I was a kid, stamps were 22 cents. Do I have anybody who remembers stamps below 10 cents in the room? Yeah, a couple of you, okay? They're not anymore, so please pick up your giving statements so you don't have to mail them, okay? Okay? Okay, great, thanks. So those are back there. That would be great if you could do that. That would save us a lot of money, actually. So, um, okay, I think that's all we've got. Um, yeah, here we go. So we're in the book of Mark, and uh, we have gone through Advent, and if you didn't know, the, the church calendar begins at Advent. So we've been through Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, which is the season right after Christmas, And now we're in a season called Ordinary Time, which is seven weeks long before we begin Lent, headed towards Easter. And so we have been following what's called the Narrative Lectionary, which has us in year B and Mark's Gospel. So if you would stand, and we'll read from chapter 4, we get into a whole new section of Mark here. So here we go. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and uh, and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and his, in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and, it, and he, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky, rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the, shallow, or the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And he said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? 
For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth, yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. For he did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Pray with me. God, as we come to this uh, time where we look into your word, uh, on the eve of a day where we celebrate um, Dr. King and all that his life meant, uh, I pray that we would be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. God, that where we find ourselves uh, in places and justice is needed and redemption and hope is needed, that we would be people of those things. Uh, By your spirit, God, empower us to be more and more like you, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen, you may be seated. So uh, we've looked at a couple of different things in Mark's gospel. Uh, If you remember, Mark's gospel opens with sort of a bang. He sort of bursts on the scene with this announcement about the kingdom of God and Jesus and the good news about Jesus, skips the whole birth narrative and goes right to Jesus' teachings and his ministry and healings. And a couple of themes that we've talked about that will will play out again today are Jesus as true Israel. So if you remember this idea that God had hopes and dreams, he had plans for this group of people called Israel— Jesus essentially takes all of those things upon himself. He's the representative Israel and takes them all the way to their full completion, which is sacrificial love for all of the world. And we see this in the crucifixion. So Jesus, in that sense, is true Israel. We see Jesus inviting the, uh, the people around him, the Israelites that would have been there, those who were looking in, uh, uh, essentially on a new kind of exodus. If you uh, know the story of the Bible, you know that the story of the Exodus in the Old Testament is the dominant narrative that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, would have known and understood. And Jesus essentially reenacts this at the beginning of Mark's Gospel. He goes out to be baptized in uh, the Jordan by John, like the Israelites went out through the Red Sea. He's led into the wilderness, where the Israelites wandered for 40 years. He wanders for 40 days, so on and so forth. And Jesus is inviting these people to essentially a new kind of Exodus. And then last week we talked about Jesus as the Son of Man, this sort of cryptic uh, idea from Daniel chapter 7, which is essentially that this person is vindicated by God and given the authority to rule and reign as the king. So he's the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. These are a few themes we've been talking about. And of course, if you think about this in terms of the original context, these things would have put Jesus at odds with the people who ran the temple and Uh, uh, the the leaders of Israel and who ran the temple. Because he's essentially calling them onto the carpet, saying, you were supposed to be this, and now here we are. And so he takes the things that they should have been and leads them to their fulfillment. So in Mark 4, we get the first section of Jesus' teaching in Mark's gospel. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that it's going to be parables. And so that's what we get 
in Mark chapter 4. And we essentially get the beginnings of what is sort of blurry at the beginning and then eventually comes into sharp focus by the end of Mark's gospel, which is essentially warning and judgment to those who were a part of Israel, the temple and all the other things. We'll get to this later as Mark's gospel continues, but Mark ends with sort of apocalyptic, kind of crazy language. You know, the the moon gets darkened and the sky and the blood red and all this other kind of stuff, and people think, well, this is about the end of the world. I want to suggest that it's not at all about the end of the world, but in fact, it's just the things that Jesus started with, now in clear focus, that imminent judgment is coming to the temple and to Israel in the form of the Romans, which then comes in AD 70. So this is the beginning of what kind of comes into focus at the end of Mark's gospel. So first, um, I want to talk a little bit about what is a parable. If we're going to look at these four parables, we have to talk a little bit about what a parable is in and of itself. So the word parable in Hebrew and in Greek is right here behind me. Uh, Mashal is Hebrew and parabole is Greek. Uh, In Hebrew, it means to become like something. Uh, And then in Greek, it's actually two words put together. So the first one means like to cast, and the second one means to come close beside. So the idea of a parable is that it's something, it's, uh, something being like something else. Or the idea of casting something close to another object in order to sort of look at the two of them together. So for Jesus, parables were teachings. These were, uh, he would often say, the kingdom of God is like a man who went on a journey. And he would sort of cast this idea next to the other to sort of bring them together. Uh, for Jesus, he was attempting to illuminate things and make clear things about the kingdom of God. Now, if you were paying attention in this passage, you might think, well, that's kind of odd, because even the disciples didn't get it, right? They were asking him, what's the deal here? Which brings us to a very important part of parables. Uh, Parables include at least two major ingredients, one being the content that that the person who's telling the parable actually says. So what did Jesus actually say? Or in our case, what does Mark say that Jesus said? The actual parable in and of itself. But then secondly the recipient or the heart of the person who's hearing the parable. See, parables were as much about the person who received them as they were the content that was given. So uh, in, my, in my time as in ministry, which is now like 16 years, I feel like I'm getting old, older, um, I've picked up this saying along the way in ministry, and it goes a little something like this. If anybody wants to write this down, feel free, to, you can write it down. I just ask that you give credit where credit is due. Now that's all, that's all I'm saying. But the idea is this. If you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one that got hit. Right? So if you throw a rock into a big group of dogs, the one that barks is obviously the one that got hit by the rock. Thank you. Right. Yes. Brad's. Yes. Exactly. If you throw a parable or a story about the kingdom of God into a group of people, it becomes very clear very quickly the condition of the people's hearts who've heard the parable. Because parables reveal something in us. Parables were actually meant to do something. They had an active sense about them. Uh, We participate in something called speech act every day, where we say something and we intend that something to do something to another person, right? So if my child is disobeying, I might say, you're grounded for 10 years! Of course, I don't mean they're going to be grounded for 10 years, but it means that I'm very serious about what I'm saying, and if they don't, you know, shape up, they're going to ship out, right? It's intended to do something, Parables are similar. They were a speech act that was intended to, act, to activate or make you think a little bit about whatever was being talked about. One person argues that it was, a, it was actually a subversive speech act. That when Jesus tells a parable, he's critiquing and calling into question the status quo and the things that people would have assumed in his day and in his age. 
So it's a good question when you come to a parable to ask, what is it that Jesus might be coming right under and sort of critiquing or poking at in his time and in his day? So I would argue, when we interpret a parable, one thing that is always helpful, or or maybe you could say it differently, you can never go wrong by asking, what does this have to do with Israel? So Jesus is a first century Jewish teacher, and he lives in Israel, he's traveling in Israel, and this group of people, the Hebrews, is the whole story is about them. So when Jesus comes, and if he's in fact critiquing something or offering challenge to something, you can never go wrong by starting here. There's a lot of ink spilled about how do you interpret parables? Is it about the future? Is it about heaven after you die? Is it about the end times? And I would just humbly submit, this is, this is my idea here, maybe borrowed from other people, but humbly submit, you can't go wrong by starting with Israel and saying, what might this have to do with the people who heard it first? And then, of course, the beauty of parables, the beauty of the word of God, is that it's active, it's alive, it's still speaking, it's still challenging. And so while it may have meant something here, it might mean something here for you and I today, right? So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at this parable and these four stories that Jesus tells and ask, what might it have heard sounded like to the original people who heard it? And then, is there anything for us here today. Are you with me? All right, here we go. So the first parable. Many of you probably have the parable of the sower in your Bibles. Yes, yes. Um, And I I think this question is really getting at, um, or this parable is getting at this question, who is Israel? And we've talked a little bit about this in this series thus far. I want to suggest that this is a a poorly named parable by the people who put these little subtitles. Those aren't in the actual text, by the way. That's added. This is really the parable of the hearer or the parable of the soil. Because the sower never changes and the seed never changes, but the only thing that does is the person who hears it. So a farmer goes into the field, he scatters seed, it lands on four different soils. Some soil it sort of chokes and there's no fruit, other soil there's a lot of fruit, and some in between. Now in every culture, there are like common forms of rhetoric, common phrases or things we might say. So for example, if I were to say to you, three people walk into a bar, you know a... Bad joke is coming next, right? right? This is just common. We all know this. Three people walk into a bar. Bad joke, probably one that your grandparents have told you before, or your grandpa in my case. Um, or if I were to say, you know, friends, we want to work across the aisle. This is a conversation about politics, right? There's just common things that if I say something, you kind of know where it's going. And with this particular one, if you're Jewish, if you're a Hebrew, and you hear a story about four types of something, you know that this is about Torah, This is about the teaching. This is about the word of God. So the rabbis, uh, in my study, there are a number of cases where I came across rabbis who would teach and they would say there are four types of dot, 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 dot. One of them is you have uh, four types of disciples. One is like a sponge. One is like a funnel. One is like a strainer. One is like a sieve. You don't want to be a funnel because whatever comes in goes out. You want to be the sieve. You keep the things that matter most, right? This is a teaching that was common. Four types of fish, imagine, amazingly. Unclean fish, a clean fish, a Jordan River fish, and a Mediterranean fish. Evidently, a Mediterranean fish was really cultured. They could engage in all kinds of different things, so they were the ones to be, the Mediterranean fish. But this is common, four types of something, and it always had to do with the teachings, the scriptures. So for Jesus, especially in Mark's gospel, there is this reminder or this invitation that God has given to Israel to be his people in the world, And in Jesus' time, there were certainly lots of different responses to that invitation that God would have given. So the parable of the sower, the parable of the hearer, is not a story about evangelism, 
primarily in its original context. It's not a story about the end of the world. It's not a story about is somebody saved or is somebody not saved. But rather, I would suggest it's a story about God's generous invitation to this group of people to be his people in the world and the hearts of the people who received it first. Now, the second parable takes it a step further, this lampstand, which I think gets to the question of what is really the point. If God has invited this group of people, Israel, to be his people in the world, to what end? What's the point? Or where is that headed? Why? And the parable asks the question, what's the purpose of the invitation? So if you have a light, the parable says, you don't hide that light. You don't put it under a bushel. No. What's the old song? Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Right? I mean, come on. This is basic stuff. The purpose of a light is so that all who are near it might see. Those who will get close to it have something illuminated. It's a gift. It's a blessing. It's for others. Now, I'm not saying that I believe this idea. In fact, I don't. But let's just take, you know what? I'm not going to say that. This is filters, filters, filters. We're going to ditch that. Laura, that's for you, honey. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you guys. I can't tell you how many times I go home and, and somebody who shall remain nameless is like, seriously, dude, somebody needs to read your sermons before you give them. <laughs> or just stick to the script. When you go off script, it all goes poorly sometimes. Okay, so that illustration is out. <laughs> so how do I make the point without telling that story, though? Okay, so many who study, uh, many people who study the scriptures, and, and specifically the time that Jesus was, was teaching, it's called Second Temple Judaism, okay? The first temple was built, I think, by Solomon, if I have that correctly, not David. And then the second temple was rebuilt by King Herod, actually. And so Jesus' time was Second Temple Judaism. People who read and, dis- and, and study this would argue that by this time, Israel's focus was inward and not outward. So they're all waiting for Yahweh to come back. They're all waiting for this promise, this promised Messiah who would come. And many of them thought that it would look like us and sort of gather the wagons, you know, uh, get, get, get the people around the wagons, and God would come back and sort of save Israel. But the whole point of Israel, the whole point from Genesis 12 was not for Israel for Israel's sake. It's not the church for the church's sake. It's for, to bless the world. So you don't put a light and then cover it. You don't put a light in the world and then cover it. No, you put it on a stand for the whole entire world to see. So the argument with this parable, or the interpretation, is essentially that the point of God's people in the world, which was Israel and is now the church, it's not for us. It's not Israel for Israel's sake. It's not the church for the church's sake. It's not the light for us and nobody else, but rather it's a gift to give to the whole world. And often is the case when you've been given something, it's sometimes easy to forget where, it's com- where it comes from, which leads into this third parable, this growing seed, right? This guy scatters seed at night or and during, during the night, during the day, the thing grows and he doesn't even know why, he doesn't know how. I remember when I was a kid, I, uh, I played hockey uh, quite a bit and I, I played on a lot of different teams and you'd, you'd get, you know, 12 or 15 kids on a team and Inevitably, there was a couple of kids who were kind of, you know, Silver Spoons. Do you guys remember Silver Spoons, the TV show? Uh, the idea, like, you, you've been given something on a Silver Spoon. You never had to work a day in your life. Everything was given to you. Evidently, there was always a couple of those kids in, in, on the team. And it was always funny. I remember a couple of moments along the way where 
you'd, you'd see these kids who were just given everything, like didn't have to work for a thing in their entire life. And then they got into high school and they were given cars and all kinds of stuff. And sometimes they would get this idea that like sort of entitled idea, or they would start to act as if like this was their stuff and they deserved this stuff and they were entitled to this stuff and like it was theirs. And if you kind of paused and zoomed out, you just kind of thought to yourselves, do you realize that how ridiculous this is? Like you're speaking as if all this stuff is yours and you had to work for it when in, when in actual fact, it was all given to you. You don't deserve any of it. In fact, we should probably take it all away from you. You don't deserve it. It was a gift. The parable, I think, in some ways, is a reminder that this whole thing, from Israel in the beginning to the gift of Jesus on the cross, it's all a gift. None of us deserve any of it. The creation that we live in, the breath that's in our lungs, and certainly this invitation from God to partner with God in what God is up to, It's a gift. While we sleep, while we're awake, God is the one who sustains it and makes it grow. This was true of Israel in their time, and Jesus spoke of it in this parable. And then this last one, this mustard seed, which I think you could say in this way, you you can't stop the small things. Mustard seeds are fascinating. Uh, If you do a little research on them, you might find this story even more interesting Everybody had a theory about how God would return to Israel in Jesus' day. You had this group of people called the Zealots. These were like the really, really fervent, you know, full of passion and full of fervor. And they thought that God's return to Israel would look like military strength, that God would come and kick the Romans out through military strength and sort of divine favor for Israel. Then you had another group of people, the Sadducees. They sort of compromised. They were just biding time, and they were compromising politically to sort of wait it out, essentially. Like, if you can't beat them, join them, at least for a little while. And then you had a group of people, the Pharisees and the Essenes. The Pharisees and the Essenes essentially said, like, let's separate ourselves, a holiness movement. So you have the Essenes. They go out into the, the wilderness. You guys remember the Dead Sea Scrolls? That's the Essenes, right? They're out there living in the hills, waiting for God to return to Israel because this whole thing is corrupt, so we're going to do it holy. We're going to do it the right way out here. So everybody had their own thoughts about how God might return. And the teaching of the mustard seed reminds us of a couple of things about the kingdom. Mustard seeds are the smallest of all seeds. They're absolutely tiny. And you think that the move of God, when God shows up, it's going to be massive. It's going to be, un, you, like, you can't miss it. But in fact, it begins with a small seed that takes root in receptive soil. That's just how the kingdom works. And once it germinates, you just can't stop it. Uh, there's a guy named Pliny the Elder, who is a, a, a Greek philosopher, and he's got a great beer named after him, actually. One of the best in the world. Uh, and he has this quote about mustards, mustard plants, that once they started growing in a particular place, you couldn't eradicate them. Like, you could try as you might, but there were so many seeds that fell to the ground, they just grew and grew and grew, and they took over wherever they were planted. So Jesus tells a story about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed. Like, it starts small, but once it starts, you just can't stop it. So let's turn the camera towards us. These are four parables that Jesus tells. Maybe in some ways, at least my attempt to understand them in their original context. But how about for you and me this morning? Four stories, four parables. The first one, a sower or the hearer. I'm wondering this morning if you had to make a judgment about the status of your own heart. Toward the things of God, towards the activity of God, towards the hopes and dreams of God in the world. Like, what kind of soil would we find? 
I think we've all been each one of these soils at different points in our lives. I can remember times in my life when my heart was so hard, like embarrassingly hard, where seeds of truth were offered to me and there was just no possible way that that was going to take root. I can think of one particular conversation where I was just an arrogant fill in the blank, okay? Whatever adjective, expletive you'd like, it would have fit for me in this moment. Just so hard-hearted. And I can think of times in my life where I wanted so desperately to hear God's voice, where there was a receptivity to what God might plant in me. And I think we've probably been each one of these places at different points in our lives. But this morning, I would just stop and ask, if, we had to make, if you had to make an assessment, if, if the lights were turned off and it was just you, what, how is your heart, I guess, is the question. Is it hard? Is it full of weeds and things that would choke out truth and wisdom and life? Or is there a desire? AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, begins with I am an alcoholic, right? It begins with the admission. And I think spiritual formation in part begins with just saying it like it is. And so this morning, however you come here, I would just encourage you as your pastor to be honest with God about whatever state your heart is in, to just say that first. Declare whatever is to be in the quietness of your own heart. We'll have a time for silence here in a minute, and I would encourage you to think about that. How is your heart this morning? Then the second story about the lampstand. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, I would argue that you are a part of this new Jesus-defined people of God in the world, and that has a point in the scriptures. It's for the blessing of the world. It's for the redemption, the restoration, the recreation of all things, God says. So if that's true and the purpose or the the, the people of God in the world has a purpose, then what is your part in that? Wherever you find yourself at work or in school or in your family, what does it look like for your life to be a part of illuminating that which is true and good and beautiful in the world? What does it mean for you to be a person of hope and peace and reconciliation on on the eve of MLK Day? What does that look like for you wherever you find yourself? What's, what's it look like to take one step towards being someone of light in arguably a really dark world some days? And this growing seed, this third story Jesus tells, so fascinating. The farmer scatters seed, and then whether it's day or night, it grows. I think so many of us, myself included, doers, right, we try and we try and we try to get stuff done. We take the bull by the horns and get it done. We, if it's broke, we fix it. Often by sheer willpower, but what if it's not up to you? What if, what if it's not up to you to make whatever it is grow, grow? Maybe Can I just be a person who offers that this morning as a possibility? That there are some things in life that... there's a point at which you end and something else begins. And maybe it's not totally on you. Maybe at the end of the day, there is something, someone out there that is greater and bigger that holds it all together, John 1, and all things are made through and sustains it all, and you can actually just say, 
this is all I've got. And God is the one that makes it grow. Maybe I could be an encouragement to you this morning to say, to remind you that it's not up to you in full, in total. And this last one, this mustard seed. This morning, is there any sense in which you deem your life small or insignificant? By that, I mean, like, maybe you've gotten to this point in your life and you thought it would be different than it is. Maybe you thought it would be more. Maybe you thought it would be bigger. Maybe you thought it would be, like, more significant or have more impact or more something. I think a lot of times the preacher just preaches to themselves. (laughs) And I've asked that question a lot. So can I maybe be the one to remind myself out loud that the kingdom begins in small places? That over and over and over and over again, if we know anything about God and the work of God in scripture, we find that it begins in small places, in like back corner places in the world, the insignificant, unimportant people and places are where it begins. And when it takes root in a soil that's healthy and receptive, things change. So this morning, if parables reveal what's true in our hearts, then I want to just invite us to a time to allow God to speak and maybe turn on a light uh, in our hearts. The question is, how is your heart this morning? Maybe there's need for confession. Maybe there's need for just some clearing of space to recognize that, you know, there's a lot of things growing here that maybe I could do without. So I want to ask, uh, I'm going to offer a word of prayer and uh, I'll invite us into a time of silence. Uh, we do this weekly because I believe that there's a lot of things that God wants to say that I don't remember to say or think about saying. Um, so I'll offer a word of prayer, uh, invite the worship team to come and we'll close with a time of silence and response. So pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we uh, hear these teachings which Uh, are so old and so ancient. Thousands and thousands of years ago, somebody said these things. And yet, here we are. And surprisingly, maybe more so some weeks than others, it applies, it fits. We find ourselves in need of being reminded that our hearts can receive or deny things that might grow and things that might be true, things that might bring life. Uh, So God, uh, shine a light. Um, Be honest with us. Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. God, whatever we need to be reminded of, would you speak by your spirit, that still small voice that Elijah heard, that it's not up to us, that we can let go, we can trust a God who is in control. We can trust that there's something bigger than us that holds it all together. That your kingdom begins in small, insignificant, faithful little places. So may it be true of us. So maybe just a time of silence to think and consider. Holy Spirit, come speak, we pray. My friends, I have uh, spent a little bit of time this week reading through Uh, some of the prayers of Martin Luther King, um, thinking about tomorrow and um, 
I just found it to be really inspiring, some of the things that he prayed for and spoke about. So I want to close this morning uh, with one of his prayers. He says, we thank you for your church founded upon your word that challenges us to do more than sing and pray, but to go out and work as though the very answer to our prayers depended on us and not upon you. Help us to realize that humanity was created to shine like the stars and live on through all eternity. So keep us, we pray, in perfect shape, in perfect peace. Help us to walk together, to pray together, to sing together, to live together until, all, until that day when all God's children, black, white, red, brown, and yellow, will rejoice in one common band of humanity. In the reign of our Lord and of our God, we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Stay warm. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.